0: Hello, welcome to More Than Just A Vet, a podcast where I explore the lives of veterinary professionals when they are not at work. I want to know what's behind the surgical mask of the people who try to help our animals. What are their struggles? What are their passions? Why did they choose the veterinary profession path? Is it as glamorous and fantastic, as we've seen in some TV programs, or is there more to it? My name is Francisco Gomez. Welcome to my show. Hello, this is Kat. Um, Kat uh, Tereb uh, is probably known by uh, many of you listeners. Um, she has a huge presence on, uh, online. and um, But as I usually do, uh, hello Kat, uh, please introduce yourself. Um, where do you work right now? Uh, how do you end up there? Um, tell me, what do you do?
1: Hi. Well, thank you ever so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. My name is Kat and I am a small animal vet and I graduated from Bristol University in 2003. So I've been a small animal vet for quite a long time now, which is slightly terrifying when I think about it. Um, I've always done small animals. I, I My first job was, was about 10% horses and that lasted okay. about a year before I gave that up because you can't you can't do 10% horses that's just not how 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 it works is it you can't see one horse yes. a week and get any good at it um so I stayed in yes. that job but I managed to ditch the horse work which was really nice um and then I I spent four years so I spent four years in my first job which is was in Wolverhampton which uh-huh. uh is nicer than it sounds actually um I had a great time there and then after that I went locuming, so I became a small animal locum. I just decided it was time to move on. I wanted to do something different. There wasn't a job to go to, so I'm quite independent spirited. So I thought, well, that's fine. I'll just go and do my own thing so I I like to think I locumed before it was fashionable actually and then okay. I spent about so I spent about 10 years being a locum um uh-huh. but ended up working in lots of different practices on a very regular basis so I wasn't like yeah. the traditional three weeks here four weeks there kind of person um and to cut a long story short about five years ago we moved away from Shropshire where we lived and back to I now live and work in Sheffield which is my hometown and I work part-time as a small animal vet in a first opinion independently owned practice in Sheffield. Um, in addition, like you said, I also do quite a lot of work on social media, and I write, and I blog, and I tweet, and I Instagram, and I TikTok these days as well. <laughs> um,
0: TikTok as well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I'm very, very down with the kids, and oh. it's and it's that, that 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 part of my career has run alongside my actual job and my actual life for quite a long time now. Um, yes. So that's yeah. So I I do those two things. I'm a vet in the real world and I'm a vet in the online world as well.
0: Yes, that that's really interesting. And when you sent me your email, you said you you started with a with a website in 2007. Um, and back then, I I think I remember already reading about you um because i came to the uk 2006 so is about the same time i have always been interested in in the internet back then platforms were quite difficult you just have websites.
1: it was a bit of the dark ages of the internet wasn't yeah. it that um there you know there wasn't a lot around yes it, it, it there was no social media you know this i mean there might have been my space but i mean i'm even a bit too old for my space oh, yeah. to be honest i don't know about you
0: um <laughs> yeah I was never in, into into that one I knew it existed but, yeah.
1: yeah yeah me too and then so so yes I ended up I wrote a website and it was just plain straightforward veterinary advice because at the time yeah. I'd been in practice a couple of years I had stopped you know running as fast as I could to stay still my brain had a bit more spare capacity because obviously when you first Uh start it really doesn't does it you being a vet is all consuming and you you know you just anything else it's just completely mentally exhausting um yeah and I decided that I wanted to help my clients understand a bit more about conditions and advice and and I didn't There was very few places on the internet I could send them for sensible information. At that stage, it was a bit of the Wild West. You know, none of the drugs companies had got websites up and running. Very few veterinary organizations had anything. Um, And, you know, and the website, the websites that were up and running were the alternative opinions. You know, the incorrect advice, the Metacam and other non-steroidals are available. Kill your cat, you know, never ever feed it. What the vet says, vaccines are awful. You know that kind of thing, and they have the march on us now, just like just like they had then. Um, So my the motivation for doing that was because I wanted somewhere to send them my clients, and I couldn't find anywhere, yes. so I, I wrote it myself.
0: Yes, I, I think it is very impressive. But also, I at the time, I I tried to do something similar similar myself for my practice. You write down some some stuff for for puppies and kittens, and I was always worried about. Do I know enough about this? Is it someone's going to come in and challenge my opinion and then demonstrate back to me that I'm wrong? Have you ever had to go back and change, you know, well, this is now all advice, I need to change it now?
1: I think that feeling of, well, am I right or am I wrong is very common in in the vets. And I think that really highlights intellectual and scientific knowledge and curiosity. There are two kinds of people, I think. There are the people who have a good scientific basis and knowledge, who understand science and and appreciate its limitations and its fallibility and the fact that it changes and grows and we get new knowledge all the time and we welcome that process. Science never stops, we're never going to stop learning and we're never going to know everything.
0: And if you have
1: a good basis of scientific knowledge and understanding, you understand that. And what that means is that you appreciate that what you know now may not be correct in the future and you are welcome and open to new ideas. The other kind of person has decided they do know everything. They have made a solid decision vis-a-vis homeopathy works and I'm going to use it and they are not interested in listening to any other opinions or scientific evidence, because they're a closed book, they've made their decision and they're sticking with it. All power to them if that's what they want to do. But that therein lies the limitation of the definite opinion. And unfortunately yeah. on in an online space and in an online world where nuance and subtlety and education is sometimes lacking those people with those very fixed, very firm opinions come off as more believable because they go, kibble kills, feed your animals raw. There's absolutely no downside whatsoever. It's brilliant. Everybody should do it. Whereas the other person's going, okay, so you want to feed raw. So here's the pros and the cons, and here's the different kind of kibble, and here's some research, and we're always learning. And the second opinion to people online seems fluffy and um, unsure. So they go with the one who's definite. So the very fact that you say somebody comes in with a different opinion, I'm willing to hear it, learn about it, go away, read about it, and then establish what I I think is correct here or what I'm going to give as my advice means that, that open scientific mind is the only way forward. If we close our books, we're never going to learn. And actually, unfortunately, those people with those kind of opinions are, you know, they are swimming against the tide of evidence and science, but they don't care. As if... And then to answer your second opinion, a second question, which was, have I ever gone back and corrected anything? Um, So, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) but that's not because i think i'm right that's because i just haven't got the time and what i wrote at the time like none of it was like super expert groundbreaking it was like here's how you treat her hyperthyroidism in a cat here's why you feed a puppy puppy food here's how we deal with diabetes to be fair that page is probably quite outdated now because diabetes has moved on hugely in the last 10 to 15 years um so yes if you go to that website and read it please please understand that um it a lot of it was written a long time ago and I haven't had time but equally I don't think it's so wrong that I would want to take it down do you know what I mean um and anyway nobody reads it anyway Francisco I can see the stats on Google Analytics nobody reads it (laughs)
0: So is it only me who's reading your your stuff? I, I don't believe I don't believe in that. Honestly.
1: I think the blog the blog gets a reasonable amount of hits, but the the pages of advice really really don't.
0: You have a YouTube channel, a Facebook page with is it twenty three thousand followers, something like that. Yeah,
1: I'm very um, proud of that.
0: You're in a TV program. What well, you've been not in two TV programs? Uh, you guessing in podcasts. I mean. Just before this, I was listening to uh, Veterinary Ramblings that you did um, uh, one show uh, not long ago as well. Um, then you have your website and I actually look at them and I think pretty much everything. The last update was a month ago. So how do you find time for all this?
1: It's an integral part of my life. That's that's how it's not something that I sit down once a week and say, I must do something now for Cat the Vet. It is something that I think about constantly. That's always on my mind. That's part of my life. You asked me in the in the notes before we sat down to talk. Have I got any hobbies? And no. <laughs> oh, oh, Cat what the... this, is. <laughs> this is this is my hobby.
0: This must be. And yeah, this must this, be your hobby. This
1: is my passion. This is my yes. creative outlet this is my personal professional development because of the things I write and the stuff I do. I do a huge amount of reading and learning around, you know, whenever I'm, if I make a statement or a post, you can, you can, like, I promise you, I have probably spent two or three hours researching five sentences because it is so important to be right in the public space. And I am, I do appreciate the fact that I do have, a voice and a, and a following and people pay attention yeah. to what i say which is wonderful yes. i absolutely love that but with that comes a responsibility to make sure that what we say is correct um, so yes. yeah cat cat the vet is my is my hobby it's my life i mean if you talk to my husband he'd probably tell you it was my obsession um but it's something that i'm passionate about and that i really enjoy
0: Yes. i i um one of my my friends um, ask me a question do you want me to ask cat uh, any questions and he says how how does she deal with pressure doesn't she not th- does she not feel the pressure of so many people listening to her sorry I don't want to make you um, uncomfortable with that question but do you do you feel the pressure of people listening to you and and watching to you in, on TV and everything
1: yeah absolutely which is why I take it so seriously i don't yeah. i don't tweet out my random thoughts every five minutes i don't um take pictures of every fluffy kitten that comes in and post it online which you know if you want to do that all power to you that's that's not me saying that's the wrong thing to do it's just that that's not what i do um and i so yes i i I do i do take it very seriously and i think there is pressure and i do know when i say something that i know is going to cause a lot of debate um there is a bit of a sinking feeling when I'm like I think I really feel this needs to be said I'm gonna say it but I'm gonna have to just clear the decks for a little bit because I'm gonna have to deal with a fallout and it, it doesn't happen very often that that I have to deal with negative things because generally no. my followers and people who support me are incredibly supportive and positive and what I say isn't you know, it isn't controversial in the grand scheme of things, but some people have a yeah. different opinion. Those people we were talking about earlier with their closed scientific minds don't agree with some of the things that I say and don't agree very loudly and very vehemently and sometimes very unpleasantly online. And yeah, so it's not the pressure, the pressure to say the pressure to understand the responsibility that I have to be a to be a positive and good voice for the profession and for pets yeah. and for science. Absolutely. But I welcome that pressure. It's something that I've lived with and I know how to cope with and I deal with it in my own way, which is, you know, making sure that what I say is correct. Um, but the pressure of the backlash is always very unpleasant whenever it happens. Yes. And I've, you know, I've dealt with it enough now to be able to deal with it, but it's still, it's, it's not a nice thing. It's not nice when it happens. Um, but it happens because I challenge some people's very fixed ideas that they do not wish yes. to be challenged and they do not yes. wish those challenges to be in a public space so <clears throat> one of the absolute worst things that i've ever dealt with was a couple of years ago when i put out a post about pugs and i think and and how uh-huh. how much they struggle and i think it got shared on a few like we love pugs websites and and facebook groups and the pile yeah. I, I put it up in the evening went to bed and the the, the pylon on that i woke up to in the morning was just extraordinary and oh, wow. you know, and it was—it's just because they, they, they love their dogs, and they don't want to see any negativity about them, which is you know un- yeah. understandable. But equally, those messages have to be shared because it's really yes. important that we understand how these dogs do struggle. Um, it's just unfortunate yes. that they a lot of people choose to shoot the messenger.
0: Yes, I, I, I think you are absolutely correct. It's got to be said, and uh, I do have a lot of clients now that they have. They they own them and they understand them. They are happy to accept the responsibility of I bought this puppy and I know he's got these problems now and I know it's my fault. It's not it's nobody yeah. nobody else's time yeah. f- feeling this problem, you know. And and with that, I think we are seeing now some of these spirits are changing a little bit and they're looking a little bit better, I would say. So I think that's that that's important. When you were saying about people. Not liking what you say, and then waking up to a pile of, should we call it shit, <laughs> right? Um, that's one of the things that you said to me in your um, in your email that you don't like bullies and trolls. Mm. How do we deal with them?
1: In my personal pages and life, I tend to yeah. reply. So. Yeah. For example, I had a recent conversation where I put something up on that thing. Actually, grains are a great thing to have in your pet food, and here's why. You know, the grain-free is just a fad, and, you know, our pets can can digest carbohydrates absolutely wonderfully. And nutritionally, they're an amazing food, you know, that it's mm-hmm. perfectly fine to have them in your pet's diet. And I got quite a lot of backlash from people who think they know about nutrition but really don't. You know, this this very sort of superficial level of knowledge that is understandable. and you know that's what the internet gives you if you do your internet research quote unquote in the easy way yes. um so sometimes I will reply and say well you're actually sort of slightly incorrect here or you've misguided and here is why would you like to find some extra resource sometimes I go gosh I understand it's terribly difficult to understand you know about nutrition properly online because I was really struggling for a while which I was would you like some no. information resources and nine times out of ten they go nope I'm not interested, and I'm like, right, fine. And, and <laughs> there, therein lies your problem, darling, because you won't, you you choose not to learn, and you choose to you just tell me that I'm wrong when, when not I'm learn. not wrong. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, you know, sometimes you just say, well, actually, here, here here's here's the here's the evidence base that I'm I'm using. And so sometimes I will reply to those comments and give my opinion because, particularly on platforms like Facebook and Instagram. I'll leave that there because I think that's a really common opinion. Here's my reply. People will read both of those things and come to their own conclusions. And I I see it as an extension of the education that I'm giving in the post. Um, And I have on occasion recently, because I've put quite a lot of effort into replies and had some backwards and forwards conversations that may or may not have been fruitful, I've taken screenshots of those and posted them as an extra post and said, this is a conversation I've had. It's clearly a common misconception. Here is our conversation and that's actually gone down really yeah. well and actually been quite helpful because social media is the beast that needs to be fed you know you need to keep posting yeah. so i'm like well if i've just spent 20 minutes crafting a perfect reply do you know what i'm going to turn that into a whole post <laughs> yes. because i've spent the time on it um if people again but if people are personally insulting personally derogatory um or if i just haven't got time i will delete comments Or sometimes I hide comments so they can still see the comment and their friends can still see the comment, but nobody else can see the comment. So they don't, you know, so they don't feel like I'm silencing them because sometimes that gets, oh, you're deleting comments. You're deleting comments. You don't (laughs) want to have the debate. And I'm just like, oh, God, well, I'm deleting comments because they're just ridiculously unpleasant. But, you know, so if you hide them, they get no interaction from me. They get no interaction from anybody else. And it just becomes Internet history um but I do block people and 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 some people just you know the same names keep popping up you're like this is just completely ridiculous you're on some sort of personal vendetta here I haven't got time for this and the amount of time you can invest in you know people who you know you can reply politely 10 times and they they're not going to change their opinion or their stance you just think, I just haven't got time for this. And you're just using this as some sort of personal, you know, you're just enjoying your time on your computer and I just block them from the pages. That's how I deal with it. Dealing with trolls in a more wider level for the veterinary profession and on Facebook posts. I think, I mean, I don't know how you see this, but I think sometimes out of sight and out of sight is out of mind and mentally protective of yourself because you can get really. You know, you can read some awful, horrible things about vets online and you can read some people yeah. who just, you know, oh, they're in it, in it for the money. Oh, they killed my cat. Ugh. You know, you're just like, well, that's so, that's so wrong, you know, and, and it really strikes at our very soul because and that's why it causes such the comments like that cause such angst, don't they? And you see them shared yeah. on vet pages and people are just so upset and so hurt because it's so wrong. We're not in this job for the money nobody yeah. is trying to fleece you out of hundreds of pounds for your 18-year-old cat. You know, if we suggest things, it's for the right reasons. You don't have to do yeah. them either.
0: There are probably other jobs where you can get more money and get less uh, less problems, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so there's a real balance to be struck. I think if you're going to spend any time in Facebook groups um, and, and see anti-vet stuff, you either engage politely once, my advice would be, if you really want to reply, just reply to a message and then turn off notifications for the post. Because then, if you're gonna, if you're getting a pylon, you're not going to yeah. see any of their pylon stuff. It's not going to stress you out. You're not going to, you know, because it it leeches, the internet leeches into your house, it leeches into your yeah. brain, leeches into your soul. And so, when I'm dealing with a fallout from, hey guys, here's some papers that say that raw food actually does contain quite a lot of bacteria that was a recent one um and then you know my notifications are just going absolutely bananas from people just outraged that I might suggest that raw meat has bacteria on it um it's it's really it is is unpleasant and it's stressful and I think some people really underestimate how much it can actually affect you and your life and your mood and sometimes just you know if you're running a Facebook page, you might have to pay attention. But if you know, just step away. That 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 would be the yeah. first thing. And I think, but I think I don't know if you've ever had like a, so, a negative social media pylon in your practice. Have you ever? Have you ever dealt with that?
0: Yeah, we all have. We all have. Yes, and then uh, we have a, our own way of of, of dealing with that. Um, uh, but most most of the time, no, probably all the time, uh, we have um, a very good uh, amount of followers who are very supportive. You know and. And they get, any negativity gets drowned out by them. Because most people love us. I I know that's, that's the problem we have in the profession. You get, you get home, you've seen 30 consults, and those two that you, either you didn't deal with it very, very well, or your client was unreasonable is how you go home, you know, you go home with that in your mind. But you forget sometimes, look, the other 38, they loved you. They were super mm. happy. They went back home and thinking, thank God, they gave me the advice I needed. So at the end of the day, I think that's one of the problems we have. We keep remembering um, the negativity.
1: Yeah, that's that's so yes. true. And because, you know, I think vets were all like outrageous, overachieving, perfectionist type A personalities, <laughs> yeah. aren't we? We we do very much focus that's on true. the negative. And also, I think that's quite a natural reaction as as well um and so yeah we you do have to remember that there is a silent majority of pos- of positivity and yeah, absolutely but one one thing i have seen recently in a couple of the veterinary forums i'm sure you've seen it as well is that people have shared yes. posts not yeah, i mean every so often you just get the general va- vet bashing but every so often a practice comes under fire for something that is is completely unreasonable and a social media pile on happens and everybody tells all their friends yes. and, and that is Desp You know, I know exactly what it's like to be on the receiving end of that kind of behaviour and it's desperately, desperately unpleasant and upsetting. Um, yes. And I think we're getting better at rallying in support. And you see those support, po- yes. posted on forums and people beetle off to the original post and say, mm-hmm. I'm supportive. And I think... I'm, I'm yes. sure you. I'm sure you've seen the same discussions online where some people are like, Ugh, "Keep the negativity yes. out of the vet forums," and other people are like, "No, we need to share this kind of thing." And I'm actually on the share it because imagine you're under a social media onslaught. Well, this happened to a practice I know recently. Um, they they did a C-section. The operation wow. went well, but then the bitch died in recovery. You know, sometimes horrible yeah. things happen, and it's nobody's fault. And that practice yes. came under sustained and contest con consistent online and real world abuse for about a week to 10 days it was horrible yes. and if but if under that circumstance somebody on that practice can reach out and and say to a vet forum guys we're having just such an awful time and the profession can come around and rally round and you know comment on people's posts and say this is wrong i think that support from the profession is hugely valuable and we should do it more there was another one i don't know if you saw it where someone made a complaint we can turn the tide, yes. yeah exactly yes. someone made a complaint about they'd taken that the frenchie had gone in of course for a pregnancy scan and it had come out with a bit of clipper rash and this picture of the clipper rash had been posted on the on the on the facebook page of the practice you abused my dog and you're like oh for goodness sake Ouch. and it was shared on a Vet Forum, loads of people piled in and politely and professionally, because that's the kind of people we are, stated the case. And then one person who was a friend of a vet, this was just, oh, it was so delicious to watch this unfold. You see, this is why it's my obsession, Francisco. This yeah. this is why it's my obsession. <clears throat> I was absolutely delicious to watch this situation unfold. Somebody got on and said, Do you know what, I'm a lawyer. And what you've done is you've just committed defamation and slander by naming the practice and accusing them of animal abuse online and what you have done is actually illegal and this practice could quite easily sue you because you're you know clearly what you are stating happened didn't happen it didn't happen from the picture of the dog it didn't happen you know from the professional point of view and the post disappeared and the post disappeared and all those negative comments and everything went away and I was just like yes Lawyer man, I don't even know if what he said was correct, but we would never say that. Like a veterinary professional would never go, "Well, actually, you've just committed no. slander, and I'm going <laughs> to sue you," because you know, like you say, like you said at the beginning, when you know, when we concentrate on complaints, our immediate reaction is, "Oh my god, I'm wrong. I made a mistake. This is my fault. Yes, I did something bad here," and and then you know, you want to peacemake and and reach out yes. and try and you know, make the person happy again. You know, we do very much internalise these complaints and blame ourselves. Whereas in came some sort of like angel of mercy lawyer, (laughs) claiming, I've no idea, made this very (laughs) definite statement and the whole thing disappeared. But, and it would just be lovely if we could do that. But of course, we wouldn't do that again because we recognize our limitations and we would never say this is illegal because we don't actually know if it's illegal. We don't know. Yes. You know, and obviously you can get your support from the VDS and all of that jazz and all of that. But I think the support that we can give each other within the profession when unpleasant things like that happen. And I'll stop talking in a minute. The one thing that's right when I I come under, when I come under trolling and bullying and negativity online you know and that kind of thing the one thing that makes the biggest difference is the support of the profession and the people on my page and very often I will reply but so will other people and there'll be far more positive comments I I often will get private messages saying I really agree with what you're saying and I think you're doing an amazing job and yeah. that it doesn't necessarily make it the unpleasantness of the abuse less unpleasant but it may it, it, it does lessen the stress to a really big degree the support of your peers is hugely valuable and i think we should do that more for each other in in the online space
0: absolutely absolutely agree and um i um. I I think people now are taking things more seriously online as well. I don't know. I I read somewhere somehow that someone uh, gave a, a bad Google review. Um, I think it was in another country. Uh, and then the person was sued by the company because the review was wrong, and they have to pay damages. So yes. it's, it's it's not as simple now as just I'm just gonna re- review this because I feel bad about them. and I didn't think I was treated fairly. Well, you may not have. Felt like you treated fairly, but maybe you were. the other The other thing I wanted to talk to you about is um about your TV appearance, and I'll I'll tell you a story. Um, I I was once my practice was um in a in a, in a shoot from the BBC for the one show, uh, for blood transfusion as well, and they asked me to come in a Sunday so they could record me, and I changed everything with uh, the look after my kid. I said to my other uh, other half, I said Vicky. Look after Alex, and because I'm gonna go and uh, be uh, be uh, recorded with uh, for the one show, they're doing this bit about blood transfusion. They s- sat me down for like a half an hour. They asked me some questions, and they didn't show it. They didn't show it.
1: <laughs> the amount of filming that goes into what actually turns out on the telly is ex- is ex- is extraordinary, yeah. and you can film for like. 2 or 3 hours and it will create 2 or 3 minutes of footage. Yeah. And that's Absolutely. You know, that's what you learn it's it's a different yeah, it, it is interesting. And yes, and and then you say something really profound and clever and you think that's hilarious and it, and it just ends up <laughs> on the cutting room floor.
0: <laughs> I see how you were shown uh, for the children uh, in the blood transfusion um Program. It was it was a blood transfusion program. It was um, the pet factor, uh, but you were actually uh, performing the blood transfusion, and it was it was very good. Now something that acc- occurred to me at the time, I thought, oh, this is very nice for the children, but maybe we are overglorifying uh, the profession. Uh, and then after that, I listened to the latest podcast, and you said we must include death, and I thought. That's really good. So, um, not just we are showing the nice bit of being a bed to the, to the kids, but we are also showing that it's not all, you know, fantastic, you know, and which is something that I always, always worry with me because I think that's part of the problem, even in society, in adults. Adults sometimes expect everything pink, you know, and, and it's not, you know, um, and I think that, that was, um, that was pretty good.
1: Yeah, I think. Um, well, obviously, because the the show, the Pets Factor, is on is on children's BBC and it's for kids. There has to be positivity, and you know, we're never going to tackle. Yes problems in the profession or stressful every so often they do show like oh the heart rate in surgery is dropping and we're (laughs) going to do this about it um a bit of drama yeah 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 they love a bit of yep they love it they call it jeopardy we love a bit of jeopardy as long as there's a happy ending and on one or two occasions i've been doing something a little bit stressful and i've just been like look can you just turn the camera off for me a second um i'm just finding this just a little bit difficult it's just bleeding and i can't figure out where from and I'm just getting myself in a bit of a tizz and I just want you to turn the camera off and they always, always do. They're very respectful, the, the filming crew yeah, of that. Yeah, so good. we're not going to show, <clears throat> you're probably not going to show like the vet having a small panic attack in theatre but, and, and, and those, yeah, those sort of more negative themes that we have in the profession of overwork and rude clients and blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah. but yeah, I was absolutely adamant that we had to have a death because it's such a fundamental for children, you know, because this isn't the pro, the show is, it's about vets, but it's about pets. You know, it's not, yeah.
0: um,
1: you know, for, for children, the death of pets is something that they will all, all have to deal with. And I think it's really, it was really, really important that we, that we showed it. And the, the, the program, the 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 show where we had a few deaths is one that people talk to me all the time. In the first series, we had a litter of parvo puppies, and not all of them made it. Um, oh. And uh, that that's one of the episodes that people talk to me about the most.
0: Yeah, um, because,
1: be- because it's, it's, it's
0: important. So, it's something that yeah, it has to be there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I um. Because we we talk a lot uh, about online, a lot of the questions I was going to ask you they are already there. Um, so I am doing the show the the wrong way around, if you like. Um, I'm having asked you one of the most question, the most important questions at the beginning, but I'm going to ask them now, which is only a couple of them, and one is that I ask every everybody is, what do you like of being a vet, and and what would you have been if not a vet.
1: I lo- I like loads about being a vet. I do I I love my job and I love I love what I do. I wouldn't do everything else if I didn't. Do you know what I mean? Um I love Yeah. What I love about being a vet more than anything else is working with a team of people. I love the teams that I work with, the nurses and the other vets, and I really value being part of a of a bigger picture and working alongside fellow professionals and animal lovers and skilled people at the moment <clears throat> i work in a yeah. in a one vet practice so there's a few of us yeah. we cycle round but i generally i'm sole charge most of the time which is fine i'm quite comfortable yeah. with that but i do enjoy having a vet buddy but you know obviously i've got the nurses and the receptionists and and it's the it's the team mm. the other thing that i love is um, my independence and my autonomy like it is it is you know one of the biggest challenges when you graduate is you suddenly realize there's nobody else in the room you're there by yourself you're making those decisions does this animal need antibiotics does this animal need a blood test should i express this animal's anal glands shall i clip its nails you know there's a constant a constant decision making process happening that's like it's a humongous step but i i really actually quite value my my independence and yeah that that sort of thought process i like the fact that every day is different there's always something new to learn i'm always getting better and better there is a certain degree of humbleness you have to have isn't there i think as a vet where you just like i don't know everything and i am going to make mistakes and there is always something new to learn you have to just sort of accept that this profession, this job is a process. There is no end point. (laughs) Well, you might retire at some point, but you're never going to be the best vet. You're never going to know everything. So you have to be humble with that and accept that as a a challenge. As for what else I would be, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's a good answer. Yeah, I wanted to be a vet since I was about 10. I come from a family of doctors. My mum's a doctor, my aunts are doctors, as we've grown up, my cousins are doctors, there's doctors. I mean, they're literally everywhere in my family. My family is very medical. Um, And growing up, so growing up, that kind of career was, was was not only attainable but it was just completely standard and and was you know yeah. definitely you know these apples don't fall far from the tree do they i read somewhere once that the veterinary the medical profession went through a phase of cloning itself effectively because doctors got married and had baby doctors yes. you know um yes. and but i came to the conclusion fairly quickly that i preferred animals to people so i've been very yes. focused oh. on wanting to be a vet since i was very very young and i was asked recently yes. if you could go back to your 18 year old self and tell them what it what it what it's really like, would you change their mind and no, I wouldn't have changed my mind. I was so laser focused um and yes. I'm lucky that it's it's turned out to be the right the right job. you know it's got its up yeah. and downs, it's got its limitations, but I genuinely have absolutely no idea what else I would do. There's literally nothing that I want to do or could do or could see myself doing um okay. You know, and then you think, well, I'm, I'm this far into my career. Could I, you know, it's all about the diversification now, isn't it? And you think, well, I'm building up quite a skill set. Maybe I could, you know, go into, I don't know, social media planning or something like you're, that. But pff, I have no idea.
0: You're already there, diversified. Yeah, well, this <laughs> is it. This. Doing
1: exactly. And I think one of the reasons why I still enjoy my job and I'm still quite satisfied by what I do and my life is OK is because I have personally diversified and also i think i now work part-time i'm a parent i'm a mum um and you know anyone who works full-time in the veterinary profession while while being a parent uh, particularly a mother without wishing to be sexist you do tend on to take on more of the parental responsibility especially when they're little um i don't know how they i don't know how they do it but working part-time just allows that decompression from the veterinary world, doesn't it? And I think, you know, I think a lot of the stress is the fact that it is a very, very full-on job and to work in it full-time is 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 very full-on. Yeah.
0: Maybe you enjoy it more being part-time yeah. when you are there, you know? Ex- you are more looking forward to it.
1: Exactly. Like this week, I normally work two days a week. This, work, this week I work three. I work Thursday and I work Friday. And I got home on Friday evening and was absolute wreck. And actually didn't sleep very well that night. And yes. I, you know, and I was like, do you know what? I think it's because I've had two really, really full on days at work. And I got up on Thursday morning yes. thinking, God, I'm exhausted and I've got to go back to work now. Um, It's full on. It's, you know, it's quite yeah. a natural reaction, I think, to be tired and exhausted Absolutely. and a bit strung out. Um, And I can yeah. see why people find it really hard.
0: Yes. Now, we... With the shortage of vets now, it's, it's going to be more difficult, but I think you're right. If we were working less hours, maybe we could put ourselves more out there, you know, when and, and enjoy it more. Mm. Um, one of the things you you sent me in the in the email about what you don't like of being a vet um, or what you don't like um, uh, in general, uh, in, one of the things you put was bull, bullies and trolls. You already discussed mm-hmm. that in the, when we talk about online. The other two were making mistakes and being micromanaged. And, and I think that's interesting because you just said, I like, I like my independence. Um, can you give me an example of being micromanaged?
1: So I think there's this weird dichotomy in the vet world, isn't there, where we are very independent working people. We make decisions for our clients and our patients all by ourselves every day and we stand by those decisions and we, you know, complete our treatment plans and we, we do it all by... Our, we stand in theatre, we cut open an animal all by ourselves, we make choices on suture material. If something bleeds, it's down to us. To, there's nobody else there. We are this very, very independent person who has yeah. to take responsibility for ourselves and our decisions all the time. Working in a system over which we often have very little control. If you are just an, a veterinary assistant like me, I'm not, I don't own the business I work for, I am just an employee. I've always just been an employee. I've never been a clinic director or anything like that. Um somebody else dictates a lot of other things to me. The yeah. the surgery times or You know, and then you think, well, I'd love to run, I'd love it if we ran nurse clinics, or I'd love it if we could offer this service, or I'd love it if I could do this. And you, you you know, either through not having enough time or, you know, managers concentrating on different things. You know, a lot of vets work in practices where they've got brilliant ideas about how they could make it better and nothing ever changes. We've all worked in those practices where nothing changes and you're just so frustrated because you're like, if we did this, it would be so cool, yes. and I could just do so much. And the boss is like, "Yeah, yeah, brilliant." And you sit in a meeting, and they go, "Yeah, yeah, brilliant." And then six months down the line, Let's it do still not happened. And that
0: it hasn't happened. No, yet. and
1: that's one of the things I think that when I when I left my first job after four years, I just I'd got to that slight stage, and I probably was I was overconfident, and I was a bit arrogant, and I was like, "I can do this betting thing now. I've kind of got it." you know, I've got it down, I'd like to spread my wings into something else, and I worked a lot in a branch practice, and I had loads of ideas, and I was like, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this, that, and the other, and I went to the boss and said, could I be the lead vet here, and can we make some decisions, and he was a lovely man, and he went, yeah, 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 and nothing ever happened, and in the end, I left out of frustration, and went locuming, and really enjoyed locuming, because I stepped away from that, that sort of politics, you know, because I was like, I've got so many ideas, and I want to do everything, and, and, and yeah, so micromanaged when people say, "Oh no, you can't do that," or y- you have to. Yes. I'd, I've been very fortunate in that I, especially in the practices I've worked in, more long term, um, having left locuming, uh they've been run yes. by very nice people who generally are pretty chilled about stuff and kind of let yes. you get on with it. But you certainly hear yes. it all the time, don't you? From yeah. from from, I dare I say it the corporates i think because they have a much more definite you know command structure and there are often people with certain degrees of overarching control that aren't veterinary um and you know come in and say you have to make this amount of money you can't prescribe that medication you must wear this uniform yeah and yes and and you know you're spending too long on the phone reporting results to owners. I, I once had, yeah. I, I worked with a vet, it, this is quite a while ago now, who worked for a well-known corporate chain as a new graduate. And luckily she had a bit about her because after she told me this story, I was just like, that that could have broken some people. So somebody came unannounced and hung about the practice for the day and watched her. She didn't know why they were there and they watched her work And they peeped through the peephole of the consult room and watched her consults and they watched what she did and they timed what she did. And then a a, a report appeared a couple of weeks later and it had things on it like took five minutes to eat a muffin when she could have been getting on with a cat castrate. And it was just like I was like and she left the job very, very soon afterwards, partly because of that experience and i was like well well done you because that is exactly what that practice deserved and secondly you know this this idea that you can compartmentalize the veterinary working day and make it more efficient all the time and you know we're all talking now about the importance of having a lunch break and sitting down and all of that jazz yes. so yeah i think but in equally i think there is a real skill in managing veterinaries, vets in particular because you have to give us our heads and give us our freedom and allow us to do what we do best but also you do need to say guys you have to you know you have to charge properly you have to you do have to be efficient with your time we've all worked with that person who's like oh my god i stayed hours and hours behind and i should be paid (laughs) overtime and then actually you think you know i think it's because you are at you know you work very hard and you never seem to stop working but what you're doing is pretty inefficient and maybe we could learn some efficiency and and that kind of thing and so there is a real skill in managing us because we're not the easiest people to manage we do take I think offense quite easily um but there is a real balance to be struck and I think a lot of the time the the balance isn't struck and I think that is a, a big reason why there's quite a lot of dissatisfaction in some practices because people are trying to drive their vets really hard and make them work even harder and it, and it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that.
0: I, I, I agree with you. Look, I am, I, I do do, um, I am a clinical director myself, but I also am an employee. I am an employee of myself and I work full time. I don't know where I do the clinical directorship, to be honest, because I'm being a vet at the same time. And I do have, um, I think part of the problem is communication because yes, sometimes people tell me, Oh, what about this idea? And then it doesn't get implemented. But have I had gone back and say, this is why it wasn't implemented? No, I probably have left the person with a frustration. And then that's another thing you're frustrated about. Event. Because I've been an employee as well, and I've been in the same situation. And uh, you know, to be honest, I do report results in my break. Why should I do that? You know, we should have lunch in our break, not report results or doing cat castrations. It just shouldn't be like that. Uh, this this uh, this vet who who left because he was being um, looked at how many minutes. Uh, of course, he should have left. That's that's horrendous that's not being micromanaged i think this being abused yeah. to be honest
1: yeah it, i i i and it's a I, it's a it's a square that is really hard to circle because i think i yeah. think we have to accept that this job is hard and it's yeah. busy and it takes a lot of time and you know if you've got a bunch of blood mm-hmm. results that you need to explain and you need to talk to an owner about chronic renal failure and all the different implications of that that's it that's a big it's
0: not just five minutes yeah
1: exactly (laughs) and you know if you're going to do a good clinical job that you feel good about and be able to care you know be able to do and work with your patient you've got to get those communication skills down haven't you and you've got to spend the time yeah um my you know my my mother is a gp that's what she does um and lots of families in the gp and their their full-time working pattern is three and a half clinical sessions a week and a clinical session is a half a day so i'm fairly certain i've got that right so they do like three 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 and a half sessions a day so that basically means that they work they work a clinical session seeing patients and then the whole other half of the day is dedicated to reporting results and catching up and that—that's and that's what is considered full-time for a gp something i think yeah i have a feeling now i've said it i might be wrong but it's something like that <sighs> about half or slightly more than half is face-to-face patient time and the other yes. half is reporting results and catching up and yes. and communicating back to whatever your clinical was and that's that was really surprising when i learned that because i was like we don't have that i do two you know full time for a vet is is you know if you're doing if you're doing five day weeks you're doing 10 you're probably doing morning and afternoon surgery aren't you so you're actually doing the equivalent of 10 clinical sessions a week and in between yeah. those you're probably doing surgery you know and then out of those clinical sessions you're going to be taking bloods and where's that reporting time and and it's you know and I, but I've worked, you know, my last job before I had the what this one, the boss was really good and really, um, you know, perceptive and blocked out people's clinical times. You know, so we'd have our consulting blocks that were to be filled and there were gaps in them yes. that were designed to be to reporting out. gaps and whatnot. But yes. in the yeah. reality of a working day, and it's nobody's fault, this is just how it is. And I think sometimes there is a certain degree of acceptance we have to have. That consults run over, phone calls come yeah. in, extra people need to be seen, <laughs> and it doesn't matter how much spare time you put in the diary; it will be filled. Especially if you work in a good yeah. practice that is popular and you're doing a good job. And yeah, absolutely. I don't. I genuinely don't know how to fix that.
0: Yeah, I think that's the the conundrum we all have. Mm. Yeah. I have one last question for you, and um, is about what you don't like you said you don't like making mistakes none of us like (sighs) making mistakes yeah
1: it's horrible isn't it making mistakes is awful and it's awful for anybody and I think but I think as a vet we take on a huge amount of personal responsibility for our patients not only in a professional capacity but also in a personal capacity as well we genuinely care and we genuinely want to get it right so when we get it wrong or when something goes wrong it it is very, very upsetting and it's very hard to um, separate yourself. I saw a tweet the other day that said, uh, you know, talk about resilience. I've just had to put a pet down and now I've got to go into a puppy consult. You know, so I've got to take all that grief and sadness and, you know, take off my sad face and put on my happy face. And I was like, yeah. that's true. Yeah. But that is not what is hard. What is hard is doing a bitch spay, having it bleed, needing to fix it. And then doing another bitch spay. Or taking a lump off. Yeah. Having the whole, like, happened to me not long ago. I did a, I did a lumpectomy on a mast cell tumour. Took quite wide margins. Anyway, the whole thing just oh. completely disintegrated. Okay. It was my fault. I made a mistake. I didn't think about the way the tissues would work. And this dog came yes. back three days later with every single stitch. You know, pull. it was a disgusting mess. But then, so, yeah, but then, and, and it worked out fine. But you've got to pick the scalpel blade up again and take the next lump off. And you have to learn from that mistake. But yeah. that, that is, that's is—that's the resilience. That's where it comes from. It's from making a mistake. It's from getting it wrong. It's from something wrong happening. And then having to go back and do the same thing again or do something similar yeah. again. And, and face that fear. You face that fear and you do it anyway. That's where our resilience comes in. And you've got to do it over yeah. and over and over again in a many different ways. And picking yourself up or, you know, having something horrible happen, having a client shout at you on the phone, whether it is justified or not, taking all that emotional turmoil, that upset, that distress, that stress, that sick feeling in your stomach, taking it, taking a big deep breath and then going into the next consult. Like euthanasias, for me personally, don't really bother me. The vast majority of the time when I euthanize an animal, it is the right thing to do and I actually take, you know, not pleasure but it doesn't i don't find it that yeah pride yeah i think pride is a good word and the grief that the owners feel it's not mine it's not my grief i can be sympathetic for them but i can shut the door turn on my heel and get on with my job i i I personally can leave that and i you know that emotional detachment is not a problem for me where i find it stressful is when i've got to take where i I'm the one carrying the emotional burden, whether it's a mistake or, uh, yes. you know, it's abuse or it's baggage or whatever, and go back and see a new person, that's, yes. that's where yes. the resilience yes. the resilience comes in. And And like you said earlier, when you said that, you know, we see 30 consults in a day and one consult is bad and 29 are good, you have to remember that the person you're talking to doesn't know anything about that or, yes. you know, or... But it's so, str- you know, especially from the like the surgical point of view. You take the bitch spay in, and then you know it goes all goes horribly wrong, and and then you've got to put your big girl pants on and fix it, and then the next fat one yeah. comes in, and you think, God, the last one I did was just so horrible, <sighs> and I absolutely hated it, and it all went horrible, yeah. and I've got to do it again. That's that's what it comes in, and and yeah, making mistakes is just awful. <laughs>
0: I I agree, um, and I agree with you. I made peace. A, a lot of clients said to me, "I don't know how you can do this job when I do an euthanasia," and, and I said to them, "Look, I am made peace with this. I know I'm doing the right thing here, and and it, like you, I it doesn't bother me anymore. But yes, it does bother me when someone is being abusive or is abusive to one of my colleagues because sometimes it's me who have to 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 to, to look after that client, uh, and then after you try to discuss the matter, whether they're right or wrong. Abuse, we shouldn't tolerate it, to be honest. But then you go into the next console, and your hand's still shaking. And you're not sure whether the the next client with the puppy for the vaccine knows whether... Are you drunk? Why is your hand shaking? Yeah. You know, you're a bit shaky still because you've been emotionally disrupted, if anything. And
1: we have to go through that process by ourselves. There's nobody to help yeah. us. And I think on a lot of levels, there's never going to be anybody to help you. You know, that th- that is that certain emotional resilience that we have to cultivate for ourselves. I think compare it to the medical profession, where if they have, you know, a never event or a big mistake, yes. there is that culture now in, in their industry where they take a step back and say, well, how did this mistake happen? Obviously, they work in big teams. So that personal level of responsibility You know, eventually probably does fall on somebody's head, but that someone is probably a consultant who's like a fabulous specialist in their field, not a GP vet who's trying to muddle through, who maybe does two or three of these surgeries in a year. And they, and they have that, you know, that emotional support. They've, I mean, I don't know if they have counseling sessions, but I think, I think they do for a lot of like really awful things that happen that there is a certain degree of, of support. And the medical profession hasn't always been perfect, you know, and they have had to go through this and you can talk to your colleagues and, and they can support you, but you, we're kind of on our own, aren't we? And that's the other really, really hard thing to, to cope with. And you've got to pick yourself up and brush yourself off and push your own anxieties down about something yes. and think,
0: yes,
1: I'm going to go and do that again now.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, Kat, it's been fantastic to have you in the show thank you for you know uh, leaving your online presence of million followers and, <laughs> and come and talk to me today
1: oh I'm, I'm it's, it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much for asking me I was I was very flattered to be in the mix and I, I really do en- enjoy you know talking about being a vet and expressing my opinions what's better than having somebody listen to what you've got to say fantastic
0: um that's all for today. I hope you enjoy the show and don't forget to share this recording in social media and with friends and family. Also, if you want to know when the next episode comes out, visit the podcast website, morethanjessabet.net and subscribe to the newsletter. Hasta la próxima.